You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. This ways that you regularly show your love for us. And Lord, we only see a, a fraction of them. We only see such a small bit of what you are doing. Lord, we know there is so much that you are up to, so much that you are controlling and orchestrating and coordinating that we will never fully understand. All of eternity, Lord, will never be enough time to fully grasp just how huge you really are. The Apostle Paul was trying to capture that at the end of Ephesians 3 where he talked about how wide and how deep and how broad is the love that you have for us. And he specifically said it is our incredible joy to try to know this love that is ultimately beyond completely knowing. And we thank you for that. Father, we thank you also for just the incredible joy it is for us to be able to have you speak to us in words that we can understand. All of us have seen parents speaking to a young child and using very simple uh, words, even sometimes just syllables, to try to communicate to a young son or a young daughter. And that's just a, a glimpse of what you have been willing to do for each one of us. To so humble yourself. To call to us by name and to use words that we can understand. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And finally, Father, in this time that we are going to spend together right now, looking at your word a bit more closely. We pray for your spirit to be powerfully present as the one who will teach us and interpret and instruct us as we study your word. He is our great counselor. And so we ask now that you would open our ears to hear what he is saying today. We don't want to miss, Lord, any of the good things that are in your heart for us to grab hold of in this time that we will spend together. And Jesus, it is in your name and for your glory alone that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, as Ted mentioned, we have been working our way through the prophet Isaiah. We are reading a chapter a day. And because Isaiah is 66 chapters, we will be at it for a little over two months. Hopefully all of you have been working your way through the opening chapters and have been enjoying some of just the, the depth and the richness of what the prophet puts before us. Uh, I was talking to another brother this week. Chapter 7 and 8 are our unit and one of the most profound and complex and deep of the, the passages of the opening of Isaiah. I remember years ago I did a pretty extensive study on it and I think for about two weeks I had all of the issues and players and 
all of that under my, my, my grasp, but then it quickly faded away. Even as I was reading it again this week, I was like, wow, Lord, there's so much going on there. Uh, unfortunately, I did not have the time to dive in and restudy it again, but it's just a reminder of the depth of all of God's word, the depth of all of God's word. You know, you will go as deep in the Lord as you want to. It's not, it's not ultimately up to him because he always says there's more. He always says there's more. You know, however deep you are in the Lord right now, that's as deep as you have chosen to go. That's the only thing that's being reflected in that because however deep we get in the Lord, however many times we've read the Word or however many times we haven't read the Word, whatever sort of time we're setting aside each day to be with the Lord or not, ultimately the Lord is saying, I'm here and I'm available. And you can go as deep in me as you choose to. Now that's both a kind of gentle slap in the face as well as an amazing encouragement. You know, not one of us is where we should be in the Lord, so that's a little bit of a slap in the face, of course. And this is myself included, absolutely myself included. But it's also an incredible encouragement because God is still saying, hey, I'm here. If you want to go deeper, I'm ready. If you want to go deeper, the Lord is saying, I'm ready. I'm here. So hopefully each one of us will continue to daily just take up the challenge of the incredible invitation that he gives to us. Well, anyways, on the reading schedule that we're following, uh, today's reading is Isaiah chapter 12. But actually what I want us to look at is what we were reading together yesterday. So Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, and we are going to read the entirety of that chapter together right now. Isaiah chapter 11. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a sprout or a branch, as the NIV says, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into 
the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish, and Judah's enemies will be cut off, or Judah's enmity will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Now obviously there is a lot in that chapter and I can promise you that we will not have the time together this morning to get to all of it. But I do want to at least have read the entire chapter because it certainly stands as a composed unit within the prophecy of Isaiah. But what I want us to do is to go back and look at some of the incredible themes that Isaiah puts in front of us in this 11th chapter of his book. So let's look again at verse 1. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its root, a sprout will bear forth. So we are immediately taken to the world of trees and plants, and botany. And it's incredible because when you think about the many, many ways that the Lord speaks to us, and the many ways that the Lord reveals himself to us, how often does he use creation to explain himself? How often does he use aspects and elements of the incredible universe that he has made to describe to us what he is like. He created the heavens and the earth and he placed the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky to provide light in the midst of darkness. And then his son comes into the world and says, I am the light of the world. He created these incredible entities known as mountains 
and we look at them in awe and wonder and sometimes foolishly try to climb them and we can break our foot on just one little boulder of them. And so God compares his strength at time to the strength of mountains. We've all been to the shore and heard the thunderous crashing of the waves of the sea. And the Lord tells us that is how he thunders at times over his earth, like those crashing waves. And so God is regularly speaking to us about himself through the elements of creation that he has made. And so here at the opening of Isaiah 11, he invites us for a moment to consider two things. To consider a stump and to consider a root. Well, most of us probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about stumps or thinking about roots. There are some groups of uh, landscapers that specialize in stump removal. Every now and then, I think particularly it's more in suburbia than in Philadelphia itself, you'll see a truck that drives by you and one of the lines on the side of the truck will be stump removal. So I don't know if any of you have ever had a stump that you needed to remove. I remember one time when I was a boy, we had a stump in our yard and Dad invited me to try to remove that with him. I think at the end of the day, that stump was still there. I don't remember for sure, but stumps can be pretty awful to try to get out of the ground. But more than anything, I think what Isaiah is inviting us to consider as we, he, he mentions a stump is that the stump is, is the remnant of a dead tree. Obviously, there was a living, growing, flourishing tree at one point, and that tree was chopped down, and what remains is the stump. And the stump itself is dead. And the stump itself is just what is the evidence that there was once something flourishing there, a tree. The second thing that he was inviting us to consider is a root. And I know I, I never really ever think of roots unless I'm reading a passage of scripture. But of course, what we realize is that a root is hidden from our sight. You don't see the roots of a tree or a plant unless you dig down into the earth or pull the plant up and see it. So a root is what is hidden from sight. So as Isaiah is opening this passage, he's inviting us to consider something that is dead, or at least appears dead, and something that is hidden from sight. And those would usually be symbols of something that's maybe kind of a little hopeless or a little despairing, a stump and an unseen root. But then he also invites us to consider a shoot or a sprout, because that's what he says. He says, out of this stump, a shoot is going to break forth. And I imagine most of you have seen that, because plants are incredible things. You cut that tree down, and that stump is as dead as dead can be, and yet you give it enough time, and oftentimes a sprout will shoot up from that stump. And who except God himself would have said, I'm going to teach you something about myself? From a stump and a sprout. I mean, only God, only God would be able to capture an incredible truth of who he is, what his kingdom is like, from something like a stump and a sprout. And for those of you who have ever weeded a garden, and you get all the weed that is showing, you realize if you don't get the roots, 
Soon enough, that weed is going to grow again. And again, the Lord is inviting us to consider that. That unseen root that for a time has nothing showing on the surface is more than capable of bringing forth a sprout and growing into a full-blown plant once again. You know, when I was in college, I had a, a, a teacher who specialized in plant biology, and he talked about how incredible plants were. He said, you know, try cutting the legs off an animal and see how it will do. Try cementing an animal in place and asking it to live its entire life without being able to move from that place. I mean, obviously, this guy really loved plants. But he said, you know, you can cut off the limbs of a tree. It will keep growing. A plant never really moves from the place where it's rooted and it spends its whole life there. Plants are incredible. But, of course, as believers, we can see the wisdom of God, the beauty of God, the elegance of God in the plant world that he created. And what he's telling us in Isaiah 11.1 is that hidden in that plant world are truths of his kingdom and truths of the king who rules over that kingdom. So looking at a stump that appears completely dead, a sprout comes forth. An unseen root, completely unnoticed to the human eye, from that a shoot breaks forth. And the last element in this first verse that, of course, is the most important is that it is the shoot of Jesse. It is the sprout of Jesse. Now, many of us, if not all of us, probably realize that the Jesse that Isaiah is referring to was the father of David. Jesse was the father of David. And what Isaiah is prophesying about is the line of David. And it's interesting because normally when the line of David is referred to, David himself is named. But in this case, the Lord inspired Isaiah not to mention David, but to mention Jesse, the father of David. But it is, in fact, the line of David with which God is concerned and which the prophet was speaking. So now as we think of that, we may think of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David was desiring to build a house for the Lord. And the prophet Nathan comes to King David, and the Lord says through Nathan, you're not going to build me a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. I am going to establish your line." And you are going to have a son to sit on my throne. And in fact, you are going to have a son sit on my throne forever. I can't even imagine how David tried to process this prophetic word that Nathan gave him at that time. To have the Lord himself say to you, I know, David, you want to build me a house, but I'm going to build your house. And I'm going to establish your house to the point where you will never fail to have a son sit on my throne. I can't even imagine how David received that news. Overwhelmed, humbled, probably a combination of other emotions as well. But that became central for the people of God. That promise that God made to David. 
Because even as Israel faltered and even as Israel failed and even as Israel plunged itself into spiritual darkness repeatedly, one of the things that was always clear was that God was faithful, that God was true to his promises, that if God said it, it was going to happen. And so that promise to David that promise of the line of David, that promise that David would have a son sitting on God's throne forever, that was something that Israel always held on to. And there were times that that promise came under serious, serious threat. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Queen Athaliah, who in utter wickedness tried to completely exterminate the entire household of David. She killed not only all of her sons, but all of the sons that were in the line of David, simply because she wanted to rule. So the line of David was becoming precariously close to being completely extinguished. But a righteous priest took a baby who was in the line of David, Joash, and hid him away for seven years. And at that point, it looked like the line of David was nothing more than a stump, a tree that had one time flourished but now was simply a remnant dead, only a reminder of what had been. But God was faithful. God was true to his word. God was a promise-keeping God. And even though at that point the line of David boiled down to a single descendant. God preserved Joash. And a few years later, he was publicly declared to be king, and he sat for his time on the throne of David. Then there came the Assyrians besieging Jerusalem. Dan making mention of that last week, a central theme in the book of Isaiah, the rise of the Assyrian Empire, taking the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity, and again, putting that Davidic line under threat, besieging Jerusalem, and attempting to extinguish the line of David. But miraculously, God intervenes and preserves. And then, of course, there was the Babylonian captivity, where many of the heirs of David, again, were killed. One of the few remnants of the line of David King Jehoiakim, also known as Jeconiah, is taken into Babylonian captivity and thrown in a dungeon there. Well, that looks a lot like a dead stump. That looks like a lot like the promise of God may not make it. But at the end of of 2 Kings, which is actually the book just before Isaiah in the Hebrew Bible, at the end of 2 Kings it says there arises an emperor or a king of Babylon named of Evil Merodach, who raises Jeconiah or Jehoiakim out of prison and removes his prison clothes and for the remainder of his life allows him to eat at the king's table. So he's in captivity, but that shoot, that sprout is breaking forth from the stump. And so over and over and over again, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God's people, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we're trying to extinguish the line of David. We're trying to make sure that stump of Jesse, that root of Jesse, never brought forth a shoot or a sprout. But because of God's providential care, because of God's absolute power, 
they were never able to succeed. It wasn't always glorious. It wasn't always Solomon. In fact, for hundreds of years, there wasn't even a throne. For hundreds of years, the heirs of David were not even kings. They were barely governors at times. But that promise, that promise that God had made, he was faithfully watching over it. He was faithfully keeping it. And so when Jesus is born, all of a sudden, the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 11 comes to the world because he is that ultimate shoot of Jesse. He is that ultimate sprout of Jesse. From that root that is basically unseen, from that stump that appears dead, God brings forth the Savior of the world. And isn't that just like the Lord to do it that way? Isn't that just like the Lord to make it look like, to allow it to look like all hope is lost, to allow it to look like the enemy has prevailed, to allow it to look like there is no way the people of God are going to get through this, there's no way he's going to be able to defeat the attacks of his enemies against him. How many times in Scripture does God allow the situation to get to that point? Over and over and over again. And so after hundreds of years of there being no throne, after hundreds of years of there being no heir of David sitting as a king, Jesus is born. And the shoot of Jesse... The shoot of Jesse breaks forth from that dead stump. The shoot of Jesse sprouts from that unseen root. And he is now in his father's world. The shoot of Jesse is now in his father's world. And as it turns out, all hope is not lost. Things were not quite as bleak as they looked. God was still at work. God was still carefully keeping his promises. God was still overseeing his purpose of salvation in his world. And now, albeit as just an infant, a helpless baby, but now the shoot of Jesse was in his father's world. And he was going to do the work and the will of his father. And Isaiah describes that for us in incredible terms. So looking at verse 2, it says, it says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in fact, it says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the shoot of Jesse is going to have a powerful, powerful outpouring of the spirit of the Lord upon him. And with that spirit, he will be led in wisdom and counsel and understanding and power and ultimately the fear of the Lord. And so as we think of Je Jesus as that shoot of Jesse, 
Many of us are probably thinking of the day that he was baptized. And as Jesus came up out of the waters of the baptism, it says the spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove. And from that point on, he was led moment by moment by the spirit. The first place that the spirit led him after the baptism was into the wilderness where he was tempted and tried by the devil himself for 40 days. But he passed that. And the rest of his earthly ministry that is recorded for us in the Gospels, it is clear that moment by moment, Jesus was being led by the Spirit. It goes on to say that the shoot of Jesse is not going to judge by what his natural eye sees. He's not going to judge by what his natural ear hears. But instead, he is going to judge with righteousness and with justice. So he's not going to simply look at the surface and believe that that's telling the whole story. How often did people come to Jesus and pose a question to him? And how often does Jesus completely ignore that question and put the subject onto what really mattered, the issues of the heart? Because at that moment, Jesus was not judging simply by what his ear heard. Because sometimes, those who came and questioned Jesus, they were asking questions out of sincerity. They honestly wanted to know. But many times, they had motives that were far less pure than that. And so as Jesus heard the words and the questions of those who approached him, didn't simply hear with the natural ear. He heard with the ears of his Father and ultimately heard by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And everything that he said was always directed at the heart of the ones who were approaching him. And same with how he judged with his eyes. He didn't simply see what was going on in the natural and believe that that was all that was happening. He always understood there was something more that was going on. And when he spoke and when he acted, that is what he responded to. So he made decisions on behalf of the poor. He made decisions of justice on behalf of the weak. Not in accordance with what the world was looking at. Not in accordance with what the world was hearing. You know, one of the greatest privileges that we have is that the Holy Spirit has come on us. And in this way, we have an opportunity to be like the shoot of Jesse. And that is not to judge simply by what we see with our eyes. Not to judge simply by what we hear with our ears. But I wonder, how often is that the only realm in which we're operating? How often are we simply content to respond to what our natural eyes see and what our natural ears hear? Jesus was never content to do that. Jesus was never satisfied to live his life and follow the ministry that was put before him in that way. He was always seeing at a deeper level. He was always hearing at a deeper level. And of course, we will never walk in that in perfection. We will never be the shoot of Jesse. 
but we certainly can aspire to be like him. When someone is talking to you, are you earnestly wanting to hear and see the heart beneath the words? When you see a situation, are you earnestly desiring to evaluate it by the Spirit of the Lord and not simply by what your natural eyes see? Because we live in a world that is bombarding us, bombarding us with things that we see and things that we hear. Just Try to imagine in any given day, how many things have you seen in that given day? How many things have you heard in that given day? And particularly once we start putting screens in front of us, literally, the entire world is at our fingertips. But as followers of the shoot of Jesse, as those who aspire to worship him, but who also aspire to be like him, are we simply making judgments based on what our natural ears are hearing, based on what our natural eyes are seeing, or like the shoot of Jesse, are we walking in a spirit of wisdom and counsel and understanding and the fear of the Lord? We've mentioned this many times in different ways. The world needs what we have to say. But if what we have to say is simply a a version of what the world is saying, we are leaving the world empty. The world absolutely needs what the people of God have to say. But if all we're doing is regurgitating something that the world is already saying, we are leaving the world empty. I hope we're all hearing this because it's so important that we as the church of Jesus Christ at this time in this place do not simply regurgitate the perspectives of the world. We must see with the eyes of the Spirit. We must hear with the ears of the Spirit. And when we speak, we better not sound like the world. Because if we do, we are simply offering the gravel that is already breaking their teeth. Is that what God has called his church to? Is that what God has called us to? To simply repeat and reiterate and defend or try to cast a new way on what the world is already saying? God has called us to something radically different. God has given us the privilege to hear with the ears of the shoot of Jesse. God has given us the privilege to be able to see with the eyes of the shoot of Jesse. That's our calling. You can't, you can't, you cannot even begin to imagine how high the calling of the church of Jesus Christ is. But the more that we aspire to know that and the more that we aspire to walk in that, the greater impact we will have. As long as we sound like the world, 
we will have no impact on this world. As long as we sound like this world, we will have no impact on this world. As we read the words of Jesus, we realize no one had ever spoken like him before. I was just rereading some of the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and it said the audiences were amazed. They had never heard anyone speak like him before. When you end a conversation, is that what the other person is saying? Is the other person saying, wow, I've never heard anyone speak like that before? You have that potential. The same spirit that rested on the shoot of Jesse is resting on you. That same spirit that spoke through the mouth of Jesus Christ himself is delighted to speak through your mouth. He is. He is. And when you speak, being led by the Spirit, what you say will not sound like the world. It will not. And people will say, wow, I've never heard someone talk like that before. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? Because I know that's what's available. I know that's available. It simply is up to us to grab hold of it and say, Jesus, this is what I want. I want to speak your words because I am hearing with your ears and I am seeing with your eyes because I want to make a difference in this city. I want to make a difference in my family. I want to make a difference in my workplace. I want to make a difference in my school. I want to make a difference wherever I go because, Jesus, that's what you've given me. Because the incredible thing is that this shoot of Jesse does not remain a shoot by himself. Jumping to the latter half of this passage, in verse 10 it says, The shoot of Jesse, or the root of Jesse, will be raised up as a banner for the nations. Jesus doesn't want to stand alone. Jesus doesn't want to be on his own. He wants to call people to himself from every nation, from every tribe, from every language. Jesus wants us to stand with him to speak on his behalf, to act on his behalf. He starts as a shoot all by himself. He dies on a cross because no one else can. He rises victorious, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There are things that the shoot of Jesse and only the shoot of Jesse can do. But once he has done that, once he has accomplished that, he is calling to us and he's calling to the nations. Join me. Join me. He wants to and will become that tree that the whole earth cannot contain. Remember when Jesus was describing the kingdom of God. He said, you know what? It's like a mustard seed. See, the father likes plants. Father made plants. He likes plants. So his son says, you know what? My kingdom, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. And it starts small. 
It's just that single shoot from that dead stump of Jesse. It's just that single sprout from that hidden root of Jesse. But you know what? That mustard seed grows. And it grows. And it's unstoppable. It's that stone not cut by human hands that Daniel saw in his vision. And ultimately, that stone becomes a mountain that fills the entire earth. Well, that mustard seed, it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it becomes the largest of all of the bushes of the field, even to the point where the birds of the air, see, God loves Ted Lewis, even the birds of the air can make their nests in its branches. You see, that's what Jesus wants. That's what the shoot of Jesse wants. He did what only he could do, to die on a cross and rise victorious. We will never do that. We could never do that. But now that he has, he's standing there as a banner to the nations. And he's saying, join me. Join me. And we see that happening, right? We see that happening. Why are so many women and men willing to lose everything that they have in the natural world to try to proclaim the gospel where it has not been proclaimed before because they're following the shoot of Jesse. They are seeing his banner being raised up over the nations and they want to be part of it. They want to be part of it. They want to be part of that regathering from the four corners of the earth, as Isaiah says, naming Assyria and Egypt and the, the islands of the sea and other nations that we probably don't even know about. But to all of them, the shoot of Jesse is rising up, a banner for everyone to see, and he's saying, come to me. Come to me. Be part of me. Be part of my purposes. Join me in what my Father and I and the Spirit are doing in this creation. Well, we jumped ahead. There's a couple things before that I wanted to get to. Because... In verse 4, it says that he's going to judge for the needy with righteousness. He's going to bring justice on behalf of the poor. But then the mood shifts a little in the second half of verse 4, and it says, with the rod of his mouth, he will strike the earth, and with the breath or the spirit of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Now that's quite a combination, giving justice on behalf of the poor, making righteous decisions on behalf of the needy, and then destroying the earth with the rod of his mouth, and killing the wicked with the breath of his lips. Well, you see, one of the things that we see in the Old Testament prophets, and some of you have heard me say this before, as the Old Testament prophets were looking forward, as they were looking forward to what would happen when the one that God would send came into the world, they didn't always distinguish a timeline. You see, Isaiah was standing some 750 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord was stirring in him, and the Spirit of the Lord was saying, the stump of Jesse is going to have a shoot. The root of Jesse is going to have a sprout. And when that happens, when the shoot of Jesse comes into his father's creation, here's what's going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. He will give decisions for the poor, and he will destroy the earth with the rod of his mouth. You see, all of those things happen 
when Jesus comes into this world. All of those things happen when Jesus comes into the world. But what we understand now is that some of those things happen when Jesus comes into the world the first time, and some of those things happen when Jesus comes into the world a second time. But the Spirit of the Lord that was stirring in Isaiah was not really concerned at that point to make clear that not everything would happen all at once. Isaiah was simply saying, when the shoot of Jesse comes into the world, this is what happens. This is what happens. You know, the Apostle Peter fully understood that on the day of Pentecost. When they were accused of being drunk. He said, no, we're not drunk. He said, this is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young and old will see visions, men and women, slave and free. Without any sort of human distinction, the spirit of the Lord will be given. And then what does he go on to say? And the sun will be darkened, and the moon will turn to blood, and the stars will fall. Well, wait a second, Peter. I didn't, I didn't see that happen on Pentecost. But you see, Peter said it doesn't matter when. What matters is when God pours out his spirit, this is what will happen. Whether it takes 2,000 years or 5,000 years for it all to work out, that doesn't really matter. So 750 years before the coming of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord was stirring in the prophet Isaiah and says, when the shoot of Jesse comes into the world, this is what's going to happen. And what we understand now is Jesus has already done some of these things, but has not yet done all that he will do. It's interesting because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this horrifically demonic, satanic individual who will rise up at the end. He refers to him as the man of lawlessness. And then it talks about the glorious appearing of Jesus. And what will happen to the man of lawlessness on the day, on that moment, that Jesus returns? It says Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. In Revelation chapter 19, one of many times that John is given a vision of the return of Jesus Christ, it says that Jesus will kill the wicked of the earth, with the sword that comes from his mouth. Sounds a lot like the second half of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. See, Isaiah didn't get confused. Isaiah didn't mess things up. Isaiah didn't, you know, misquote. Isaiah simply was not told by the Lord to distinguish the exact timing of all of these things. He was simply told that when my shoot of Jesse comes into my world, here is what happens. So this is one of the most important things as followers of Jesus that we can understand. And you've heard me say it, and I'll continue to say it. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is coming. It's both. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is is coming and we have to live with both of those truths firmly planted in our hearts 
If we only think the kingdom of God is here now, then we don't have enough hope and expectation for what is coming in the future. If we're only looking to that future final fulfillment, then we don't have enough hope for what God is doing right now. If we emphasize one and ignore the other, we get in trouble. So what we have to constantly, constantly, constantly remind ourselves of, the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is coming. It's both. It's both. And it challenges us to continue to see the kingdom of God present right now, but it encourages us that something far better is coming. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, Isaiah paints this picture that I think almost it, it does injustice to try to describe it beyond the words of the prophet himself. He again looks to creation. Only this time he's not so much concerned with the plant kingdom. This time he's far more concerned with the animal kingdom. And he describes something that absolutely seems impossible. Carnivores are not going to eat other animals. Lions are going to eat grass. Bears are going to eat straw. Goats and leopards are going to get along together. You know, go to the Philadelphia Zoo and go to the lion cage and throw a lamb in there and see what happens. The lion's not going to be content with eating straw if there is a lamb in the cage with him. But Isaiah was given a glimpse of something so much better than what is here right now. The kingdom of God is here, but not as glorious as it will be. And it gets even more shocking because it talks about a little child playing over the hole of a cobra. It talks about a nursing child sticking its hand into the hole of a viper. Alexi and Josh, Estefani and Doug, just imagine the panic in your heart if you saw your little one going for the hole of a deadly snake. Well, in the glorious rain that the shoot of Jesse is bringing, that fear will be gone. That fear will be gone because redemption will not only come to the daughters and sons of the kingdom, it will come to all of creation. Paul says in Romans, all of creation is longing for the glory of the sons of God to be revealed. You know, as I read Isaiah 11, I wonder, when God created in the beginning, before the fall, I wonder, was all of his kingdom free of death? I know what the fossil record says. The fossil record says there was animal death for millions of years before humanity came on the planet. But I wonder, were lions eating straw before the fall? Were bears eating grass before the fall? I wonder. Because, you know, God created a universe that could feed itself without there ever being any death. If you pick an apple from an apple tree, do you kill the apple tree? No, you don't. If animals graze a field and don't overgraze it, does the grass die? No, it grows back. So I wonder, 
When God created, and it was very good, at the end of his creation, were animals eating each other? I don't know. Were mosquitoes biting? I don't think so. So I wonder. But what I do know is that the kingdom that the shoot of Jesse is bringing will absolutely have none of that. There will be no death. There will be no decay. There will be no imperfection. As lion and lamb and bear and goat and little kids playing with snakes. Glorious. God's redemption will touch every atom of his new creation. And that's what's coming. But as I said a moment ago, it isn't just that it's coming. It's not just that we have to, you know, hold on until the end. Of course we do. But the kingdom is also here. We can absolutely be establishing the goodness and the power and the presence of God's kingdom now. Because it isn't just coming. It's here as well. Well, of course, there's a few more things in Isaiah that we didn't get a chance to get to, but I think we'll tie things off here. But what an incredible, incredible promise that was made to the people of God some 750 years before Jesus came into the world. And the glorious truth of that promise is continuing to ring in the ears of the people of God. We're continuing to read this with excitement with hope, with joy, being stirred up hopefully for enthusiasm, desiring to do more for the Lord, desiring to be listening with his ears, seeing with his eyes, being led by his spirit, making a difference now because we know the end. None of your labors today are in vain if they are done for the Lord. Whether you see the fruit now or not, nothing that you do is in vain in the Lord, because we know how it ends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just want to thank you so much for giving us this time together just to briefly consider some of the incredible things that you declared through your servant Isaiah in this 11th chapter of his book. We thank you so much that even though all hopes seem lost, and even though the people of God had waited for hundreds of years, you were faithful. You were faithful to watch over your promise. You were faithful to care for that line of David that ultimately would bring the shoot of Jesse into this world. And Jesus, we worship you because you are that greater son of David who is now seated on your father's throne forever and your kingdom is here and your kingdom is coming and the end will be more glorious than we can possibly imagine that glimpse that you gave Isaiah of absolute peace in the animal kingdom is only that it's just a glimpse of what the reign of peace by the prince of peace will look like and so, Jesus, we long for that day. We long for that day when the kingdom of this world will become your kingdom, the kingdom of your Father. We long for that day. But while we are here, may we follow in your leading. 
May we allow ourselves to moment by moment be led by your spirit to hear with your ears, to see with your eyes, and to speak what the world is not speaking and can never speak. Because that is what the world needs to hear. We will not change this world by looking and sounding like this world. We will only change it when we sound like the shoot of Jesse, when we choose not to judge by what our eyes see, when we choose not to judge by what our ears hear, but when we allow your spirit to lead us moment by moment. And Lord, the world is waiting. The world is waiting for your church to give voice to what you are saying. Give us the grace. Give us the grace to say it. And Jesus, of course, it is in your name and for your glory that we pray these things. Amen.